I bought a lot of games that I never got around to playing, so I'm excited to finally play Red Dead. I've been playing a ton of Red Dead Redemption. What's Red Dead? That's a game? or Red Dead Redemption. It's like Grand Theft Auto in the Wild West. Yeah. Okay, and it's like, that's a game. Though. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like Rockstar had um, Grand Theft Auto, and people were like, yeah, man, it's the Wild West out there. And someone was like, oh, we should make a game. Let's make that up. <laughs> <In the Wild. laughs> nice. Phoebe and I have been watching Dear White People, uh, oh. which is super fun, super smart show. It's just so, so like, obviously commentary dense, but certainly comedy dense, and just like there's so much stuff going on. It's uh, it's really compelling. Uh, yeah, we're, we're fans of it. I've just been watching uh, Hunter x Hunter, which is an anime, oh. a world where the monsters exist and there are treasures and all kinds of adventures to explore, and they're inside of a magic video game right now. Well, hey, we got some beer to cheer us up, at least. Well, let's get it started then. Hey, everyone, welcome to Liquid Bread. I'm Maddie Smith. With me, my good friend Larry Bates. Hello, hello. He's remote this week, um, as we're in the middle of a pandemic, and also with us from Bozeman, <laughs> the stud of suds, Rich Higgins. Yep, that's me, Rich Higgins. Okay. The, the stud, stud of suds. Of suds. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's new. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I like it or not, but it is new. <laughs> I said, I like it. I said, I like it. <laughs> it's all about you, Larry. It's all about you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are doing all right. You're staying safe. You're staying clean. Doing our best. Yeah. I'm that's a, drinking that's a lot of beer. <laughs> Keeping the scurvy away per our last episode. Are you staying clean? Are you staying clean? I like that. Lots of beer. Drinking a lot. <laughs> yeah. Why not? <laughs> what else are you going to do? Rich, what do you grab? You're sitting at home. You're not allowed to go outside. What beer do you bust out? Is there is there a go-to beer for you? You know, I've got some friends in town here that sort of have the same situation I do, where they have all sorts of beers in their fridge that are like work beers, or they're they're slate, slotted, slated away for something else. You know, they've got like a little label on them for like you know eat with or drink with this food or something. They're like they're all these beers that are in the fridge, but they can't actually drink them. And I've got that too. And then we each have our stash of what they call drinking beers, which are just beers that's like, oh yeah, there's this one, I can drink this right now and just enjoy it. Those typically these days are well i i tend to always have some some bayer and pilsner in my in my fridge bayer also has a doppelbach right now uh so uh it's good winter lager um we also uh uh yeah ipas are big out here so yeah we we switch it up but uh there are a lot of other beers that are sort of like aging or or you know being saved for something special larry what what are your drinking beers oh god um like to just drink like you know it's like yeah just suck it down you know you don't you don't have to worry about it i really like um what do I like? like if I can get my hand on some victory, I really like that yeah. payment of pills. I fucking awesome. love it. What I'm drinking now in the spirit of IPAs, mm-hmm. um, not the mind haze. I have that ready for later when we do the yeah. test. But I have this Stone Fear Movie Lions double IPA. Um, well, I'm sure it's lovely. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. Is it a hazy or is it just unfiltered? It's just unfiltered. I don't think it's a hazy. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, you can't really see through it when I hold it up, but it, it's not a hazy though. It's just yeah. yeah, it is hazy. It is not a hazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, 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 what would be the... Larry? We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We're gonna get to it. Simmer <laughs> down, Larry. Okay. It's gonna be okay. We'll get to it <laughs> I was right. flowing. I was flowing. <laughs> Let's get going. So this week's topic is a style, everybody, and it's a big one. IPAs. You guys heard of IPA? I've heard of IPA. Yeah, I've heard of IPA. Yeah, tasty, tasty. The Oxford Companion to Beer says, of all beer styles, IPA is the most romanticized, mythologized, and misunderstood. It inspires the fiercest debate, the greatest reverence, and the wildest conjecture in the world of beer. Rich, would you agree with that? 
Yes. Lofty. Now, I would guess uh, that yes. most people listening to this already have a strong opinion of IPAs. I think some love it, some hate it, some are sick of 75% of every bar menu being IPAs, some will immediately ask for the IPA every time. Now, uh, later on, we're going to talk about the style's often mistold history, the taste and character of the style, the many subcategories of IPA, and Rich is going to lead us in a double tasting of two subcategories, a West Coast IPA and a New England IPA. Mm. Woohoo! <laughs> We're having fun here. No room for haters here. Well, how, how do we feel about IPAs? Are you are you big in IPAs? Uh, me? Who, Maddie or yeah, Go Maddie. For Maddie. Yeah. Maddie, Maddie I, I, I know I, you. I know you, Rich. I know. I know you. I know. <laughs> Honestly, IPAs are probably my least favorite type because I I think I told last week when Rich asked me originally, you know, what kind of beer you liked. My initial response was, well, I don't really love IPAs. Of course, getting to know beer more and more. I now like a lot of IPAs and some specific IPAs, but I would say if I was given like 10 different styles and one of them was IPA, I'm good odds that that one IPA is going to be lowest on my list. Mm. Uh, Larry, you love them, right? Well, well, I mean, I I, I love, yeah, I I love beer. So (laughs) there was a period of time where I did not like them at all. And then I had um, uh, Stone Ruination at Yard House, which is nice. like an extreme version of IPA. And it, I was just like, I love this. And I went on like a, I went on like a tear. It was like all I wanted. I was like, oh, IPA, IPA, IPA. Yeah, guys, so, I, I love to hear this because so many, you know, IPA is polarizing for, for people as sort of a family of beers, but it is a family of beers and beer styles. There are a lot of subcategories of IPA out there. So it's like when someone, when I meet someone who's like, oh, I don't like beer or, you know, they just assume that beer is one thing. They're reducing yeah. it down to one thing. But, the, you know, as we know, there's so much diversity within beer. And then the same thing goes for IPA. And you know, a lot of styles are borrowing techniques and flavor profiles from IPA, just as IPA has borrowed a lot of styles and flavor profiles from other styles and, 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 and wrapped that up in, into IPA. So yeah. there's a lot of different stuff going on, a lot of crossover. Yeah, I'll say with IPA is Megan, my, my wife, my lovely wife, Megan, uh, she, she does not like IPA. She doesn't like super hoppy beer, so she kind of has that same preference as me. Mm-hmm. And so she won't order them, and usually she won't taste something if she knows it's IPA. She'll usually say, ah, I don't really like that. Sometimes she'll send me, though, to the bar to order it. And I'll bring her one sometimes, mm-hmm. and she'll like it. And it'll be I'll wait till after she tastes it to let her know that that's an IPA. Usually she's into the mm-hmm. hazies and the New England mm-hmm. IPAs, which obviously we'll definitely get into later. But yeah. before all that stuff, and before we get to the IPAs, let's talk about what's going on. Of course, right now, <laughs> there's a lot going on right now. This is a weird time. Uh, we are in the middle of a global pandemic. Everyone's talked plenty mm-hmm. about the subject. Yeah, boo. We're officially, liquid bread, I think, is officially against coronavirus. I'll, yeah, I'll go ahead and say it. Yeah. Okay, good. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't ask you guys if that was okay beforehand, so I don't want to misrepresent. But <laughs> I'm okay. There's, but, there's uh, no way yeast, yeast can eat some coronavirus and make some awesome flavors for beer or ooh. anything like that. It's, I'm not even going to joke about that because <laughs> I'll okay, get taken I'll the wrong way. I, okay. <laughs> Everyone probably is pretty sick of coronavirus, but it feels like we should touch on how breweries are responding to the situation. Um, as everyone's being impacted. First of all, a couple of you know good stories of what of what breweries are doing, and this is something I've wanted to discuss. And Rich, we talked about this beforehand. Breweries often are a big part of their communities. A lot of breweries are involved in charities and community outreach. I think we'll talk about a lot more stories in the future of those. But for now, one story is BrewDog in Aberdeenshire, Scotland, have begun making a hand sanitizer at their distillery. They're hoping oh, wow. to have they're hoping to have the first batch available this week, uh, and they're not selling it which is great. They're not trying to profit off of it. They're going to be donating it to local charities in the community. 
So that's a great thing that they're doing. That's pretty awesome. That's, that's super awesome. Rich, do you know Brewdog? Yeah, I totally know Brewdog. Um, actually, <clears throat> another one of the Master Cicerones, um, it's a funny way to put it. The owner, uh, one of the co-owners and co-founders of Brewdog is a Master Cicerone. And they also had another uh, guy that worked for them that no longer works there, uh, who was another Master Cicerone. Uh, <laughs> well-educated brewery. And they brew awesome beer. And you can get it, <clears throat> fortunately, at this point, you can get it almost all over the world. There's a Brewdog bar pretty much everywhere you go, um, including in, uh, in the U.S. They've got a big facility in Columbus. Ohio. Yeah, well, I was going to say that that's the doghouse, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. So it's a doghouse, yeah. and that's I have little notes on that. It's the world's first craft beer hotel. Can I can I read the uh, the pitch from the website? Because it sounds <laughs> delightful. It, if you like oh, beer, wow. Oh, wow. so from your room you can see, hear, and smell our sour beer fooders. It's fooders, right, Rich? Uh, with yeah, if it's F O E D E R S, that's uh-huh. fooders. Yeah. That's the one. Fooders? That's Dutch that, spelling. Yeah. So fooders and take it all in. Head down for a mm. beer paired breakfast. Spend time reading the latest brewing books. Even sit back with the draft beer poured from your room's very own BrewDog tap. That sounds like mm. a lot of fun. That's a great idea. I know. Yeah, That's you're just staying awesome. in the brewery. Yeah, and everything <laughs> seems very geared towards. Also, they do have a gym. And you have a tap in your room mm-hmm. where you can just pour it. Oh, that's dope. Isn't it? I guess so, yeah. <laughs> It sounds dangerous. <laughs> it, sounds really, it sounds really dangerous, Rich. That's why it's so dope. <laughs> Get some serious, uh, serious Z's there. Uh, Dogfish Head has one of those too, out in, uh, in Delaware. Too. Oh, cool. It should be, it should be oh, noted. Oh, cool. Right. So yeah, there's a lot of. Is there anything of, like that over here, like in in Cali? Not that I know of. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of it. Larry, 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 you looking to bunker um, down in a in a bear hotel for the next few months? Yeah, man, that's what we need. That's what we need to do. Next episode of uh, no, we can't. Well, it's it's time for us to open one. Obviously, yeah, that bunker. sounds like a plan. Yeah, that's great. Hey, can I can I add a little a uh, little something I read today? Um, Brewdog's not the only outfit out there that's trying to make hand sanitizer. Awesome. Um, so the main thing in hand sanitizer that makes it sanitizing is ethyl alcohol, which is produced at all sorts of distilleries. And so there are a lot of distilleries in the United States that are trying to make it. Um, and they have clearance from the FDA to make it, uh, but they don't have the ability through the, the TTB. That's the Taxation Bureau of um, the taxes alcohol. So they still would have to tax the alcohol um, at their regular taxation oh. levels for that stuff. So it's like buying, you know, it's like the taxes on a bottle of whiskey would apply to a tiny little bottle of hand sanitizer. So that's seriously red tape that the government needs to clear up stat. Yeah. Another group doing some good or just an, an interesting uh, way to help out um, is Elix, E-L-I-Q-S, which normally uh, is this company that allows you to kind of customize a beverage packaging. Like you can get kind of custom beer cans. They have specific beers you can pick out to fill the cans, but you get to customize your own beer packaging. But what they're doing is they're partnering with Absolution Brewing Company in Torrance, California, to sell custom designed beer packs where the proceeds are going to be donated to the World Health Organization's COVID-19 Solidarity Response Fund. Nice. They're not super cheap. It's around $3 per 12-ounce can uh, after tax, but it goes to a good cause. And those looking for something of a collector's item, I guess, can choose from coronavirus response-themed beers. <laughs> They've got a social isolation beer. They've got a, B- a BRL can. It kind of looks like a Purell. BRL. It's pretty uh, fun. They're pretty, well, they're pr- they're like pretty nicely designed. They're pretty well-designed cans. BRL, I like and there's, that. And there's one called uh, Coughs and Sneezes Spread Diseases, and it has a little diagram sort of of it's true. responding to it. Uh, it is very true, yeah. Could, 
That's a good lesson there. Coughs and sneezes spread diseases. So, you know, if you are interested in just checking them out, you can see them at elix.com. I don't know how to pronounce Elix. it, but it's E-L-I-Q-S.com. Also, Absolution is it's a beer local to me and Larry, and it's a good beer. And that's yeah. what they're filling it with. You can choose between, I think, like a blonde ale and an IPA and a, like an amber or something like that. But that's just another interesting way that companies are rallying together to help out. Yeah, yeah, that's for pretty, sure. Very cool. Yeah, the, the beer industry is usually pretty good at staying involved in the community unfortunately a lot of the a lot of the breweries right now are sort of the, the ones that are hurting the most so it's it's a tough time right now for, to be to be any involved anywhere along the uh, chain of command within the hospitality industry yeah yeah before that wednesday night when you know the nba shut down and trump had his speech and all that mm-hmm. stuff right before that mm-hmm. i had just found out that this brewery in carlsbad california that i loved called papa marcia's serviceria closed down and i was gonna do oh, kind of and I, and I was gonna start a something called like pouring one out because this is such a hard business to to keep your brewery going already mm-hmm. you know if people like wanted to write in and call out breweries that they thought did a great job but just couldn't make it just to kind of also grow, give attention to those smaller breweries and how difficult it is then of course this happened and now mm. all these small businesses are in danger. More than 30 states have mandated shutdowns of on-premise consumption. Uh, likely more are going to follow suit. And in a survey to the Brewers Association, nearly 60% of craft breweries said they expect to lay off employees uh, in the coming days and weeks, which is mm-hmm. obviously a whole lot of employees. So it's not just... It's awful. It just hey, reminds you that this awful. isn't just about getting beer. It's about no. just so many jobs. People's lives, like, and, it's, and obviously yeah. there's restaurants that are going through all this too, and it's just such an awful situation. Uh, So, you know, breweries are responding however they can. Many are now selling their beers to go. If you're listening to this, you're probably going to crave a beer during however long this lasts. And I think a great way to get some good beer and to help out would be instead of going to the grocery store and picking up a 24-pack or whatever, see if you can go to a local brewery, see if they're doing pickups. Some places are calling ahead, having you call ahead to pick up. But a lot of places also that don't necessarily always do to-go cans are figuring that out. So as long as you can do it safely, you know, take all the precautions, take care of yourself. That'd just be a nice way to help out an industry uh, that is definitely going through a tough time right now. Yeah, for sure. The main thing is the, all these breweries, all these restaurants that are shutting down right now, hopefully it's just temporary. Uh, they just need cash. You know, their cash flow situation is always tight and it's especially tight and dire right now. So yeah, anything you can do to help them out, you know, go directly to the brewery to buy their beer. Don't go to the grocery store. Nothing against grocery stores. Go to the brewery, buy directly from the brewery if you can and uh, consider buying a gift card. You know, that'll help give them cash now and you can yeah, that's a great approach. Yeah, you can re- redeem it in a few smart. months when this, you know, when the virus scares over over, you know, yeah, things are just, things are really tight right now. Again, this is, like you said, this is an industry where people are very willing to help out one another. In Golden, in Colorado, there's a company called Cody Manufacturing that's helping out breweries that hadn't canned their beers before, because I guess you don't really think about this, but there are plenty of breweries that just offer it only on tap at the location. And when you don't have the containers or the setup to send people away with cans, you're kind of screwed at this point. But this company, well, they have a mobile canning system that they're sending to their breweries that they can can their beers for free. Um, aside from the cost of the cans themselves. So even there, it's yeah. nice that in some areas, some breweries are getting some help. I want to give a huge, huge shout out to um, <clears throat> to Cody and, and any other mobile canners that are offering this sort of service because, you know, that's that's their business. You know, they make money being a mobile canner. So they go from brewery to brewery with the setup and, you know, set up the, the canning line for a day out in the parking lot and, you know, fill up cans that day for that brewery and then get paid and then move on to the next brewery. And so for them to do this for free is an incredible gesture of, of goodwill and, and support toward the industry. So bravo to them for sure. And then, you know, also like some places have tweaked their laws a bit to help. Uh, like in Alabama, the Alcoholic Beverage Control Board issued an emergency rule allowing curbside sale of unopened alcohol. 
uh, and Mississippi as well is now allowing curbside pickup until at least April 30th. Mm -hmm. So it's been nice to see those adjustments. Obviously, a whole lot of things need to be done. A lot of adjustments need to be made. But it's been nice to see that some things have been able to happen quickly to to help out these. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough situation. I mean, there's the fact that there's a lot less demand right now. I think people still are thirsty, but there's a demand problem. But there's also a supply problem because they're having to lay off staff temporarily. Um, You know, there might be disruptions to the the supply chain, whether it's canning or canning supplies or whether it's malt or hops or something. The longer this thing lasts, the more it's going to disrupt both the supply and the demand. And then on top of that there's the governmental issue you know all the regulations that pertain to to taxes to the ability to sell beer to go you know if you're if you're a brewery that only does stuff just across the bar you know just on tap you might not have a license to to you know allow stuff to go out the door but that's the only way that you might be able to keep the lights on in this brewery so it's really a nail biter and it's really tough so yeah just in general support breweries however you can right now for sure that's good information to know I mean, yeah. next time I go out on a run, I'll, I'll check locally. Do we know of anything nearby us? I think a lot of them are open. I, I you know, I personally know Highland Park Brewery is, is doing it. They're also doing to-go food because they do food at that spot. That's great. But I would imagine a lot of places are. So I think it's just, yeah, look online, check out the brewery's Twitters and stuff like that. Usually a good source for information. So I think it's definitely worth checking out. And also you'll get some good beer out of it. You know? I know. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's good beer, too. Yeah, for sure. One thing with the pour one out uh, segment where we're, we're bummed about a brewery closing down, I got to say, this one's near and dear to my heart, Social Kitchen and Brewery in San Francisco. Oh, I was the opening wow. brewmaster for it in 2010, oh, wow. and I worked at it for two years. Uh, I left in 2012 to, to open up my consulting and travel business, and then uh, hired a talented brewmaster behind me. His name is Kim Sturdivant. He had come from Marin Brewing Company, uh, moved moved over to Social Kitchen Brewery, brewed kick-ass beers, got a couple golds at uh, GABF over the years, and he's also also credited with uh, inventing the the brute IPA style. Oh wow! So super talented brewer. He was there for about five years, and uh, he just handed the reins off to um, to his uh, his assistant, who was a bus boy when I worked there back in the day. And this guy Sean, he's just risen through the ranks. He's a super talented guy. At any rate, uh, the the brewery just closed down after um, seven years That's in business. Too bad. Or, oh no! no it's so years, hard, even for a good spot. Ah. Yeah, in San Francisco. So yeah, really bummed. And uh, the place built a legacy of brewing really good beer and uh, really engaging with the community. So definitely sad to see that place go, but uh, rather than complain about it, let's uh, let's raise a glass yeah, raise to a that glass. place and pouring all out, the other good Pouring good out for Social Kitchen, around. pouring out for Papa Marseille's, pouring out for, yeah, all the good brewery. And if you have to pour it out in your mouth, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. So let's get, let's get on to food pairings, okay? Rich, you're so good at food pairing and it's so fun to have you do that. You did it a little bit last week. I'm going to name a few foods and I want you to tell me what beer you'd pair with them. So that if someone listening to this is gonna is planning on this specific dinner, they're gonna know they're gonna know a great idea for what beer they can grab to drink. No, no, no. Are we going? Are we going any any food with throwing it, Rich? Any, I, any I have I have a list of foods. I've organized. I've tried. <laughs> I've tried to. I've tried to give a broad range. But Larry, if you also want to just throw things at him, yeah. I might Larry, Maddie is the food. Maddie's the food master. He's I know he's got a list. Man. I might just throw something out. Go ahead, go ahead, Maddie. I might I might accidentally say something on your list. Okay. Just <laughs> okay. Uh, so so we're gonna start very simple, straightforward. Rich steak and potatoes. Oh, come on! You took it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I need to ask: Is a hamburger on this list? 
I, there is. I will. I'll tease, but there is. There is. <laughs> there is. There is. All right. Then I'll wait to say the beer that I was maybe going to save the steak and put, and mm-hmm. save it for the hamburger. The fact is, there. You know, just in general, there's so many different beers that go really well, but in different ways with each of these yeah. foods. But immediately, I think, um, how about a how about a, just a badass porter or a or a stout? Cool. I'm gonna leave it at that. There are eight thousand subcategories of each of those, but a great porter, yeah. a great stout. Now let's try this a little bit different. A grilled halibut with wilted spinach. Ooh, that's fun. So, all right. So, <laughs> in general, I would lean immediately towards Cezanne. Uh, it is fantastic with fish. It has a little bit of uh, acidity, you know, a little bright tartness. It smells like lemons and black pepper. So, all Ooh. of these things are things that you would normally, you know, pair with fish or garnish a fish yeah. with. Because it's grilled, you might do a uh, might do a, a darker saison, something like um, uh, Noir de Dautigny, which comes from Belgium. Whoa. Yeah. So that's something where you're going to get the dark roast of the malt is going to pair nicely with the uh, with the the roast the grill marks on that fish. Nice. So, or a Schwartz beer would be fantastic. Too. Something like custards or uh, Schwartz beer would be great. Next dish, General So's chicken. I'm going out and picking up some Ooh. General So's chicken. What do I eat with this General So? You know, I would do uh, I do a Belgian Abbey ale. Um, mm. Something like a double would be great. We were talking about Chimay Premier last uh, last episode. I think that's going to be fantastic with General So's. I can keep going, but yeah, we're knocking these down. Yeah, again, we'll, we'll we'll definitely get into more of the methodology and you know philosophy behind beer pa- or right. food pairing, but. Mm-hmm. Rich, Larry, I, I gotta jump in. Go I gotta, I gotta jump in. Go I gotta jump. Do it. I gotta jump in. You give me some, some baby back ribs <laughs> with some coleslaw. Yeah, that's it. Baby back ribs. <laughs> yeah. Is sauce. there a barbecue sauce on the ribs? Oh, there's, there's sauce on the ribs. Yes. Okay, and it's a tomato based sauce. Yeah, I guess. I guess like it's a tomato based. Typical sauce. red barbecue sauce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's not a dry. Uh, arrogant bastard from Stone. Ooh, simple, oh, straightforward. Yeah, it's nice. gonna be awesome. All right, nice. next, next one, and here's that burger. A Big Mac and fries. I went to McDonald's. <laughs> I got a Big Mac and fries. I didn't get a drink. Hey, man. What do Ain't I put with, with that? Sometimes you need a Big Mac and some fries. I love it. I what love goes it. with this Big Mac? So, so honestly, when you were talking about a burger earlier, I was thinking of like a you know third pound or half pound burger, nice big slab of, of burger there. The Big Mac is a little bit about the burger, but it's also a lot about the bun and the special sauce and all that stuff too. So this pairing is not quite as perfect as I was hoping. But blah, blah, blah. Route des Epices from Brasserie Juju Ciel in, um, in Montreal is my favorite hamburger beer hands down whoa say it say so, it again one more time what's the name yeah, of it the, the brewery is called brasserie which is french for for brewery mm-hmm. this is in montreal where they speak french so brasserie dieu du ciel which means uh, god in heaven or like you know nice that's Ooh, the nickname epic. of the brewery and then the, the beer is called root des Epices, which is french for spice root and it's a uh it's an amber no it's not an amber yeah it's like an amber ale basically it's about six percent alcohol um has a nice kind of caramel toasty notes to it a little bit of bitterness to it not crazy but then on top of that it has three different types of pepper peppercorns attitude it's got black peppercorns green szechuan peppercorns wow. and um and pink peppercorns so Ooh. it's like layers of black pepper and when you add that to any sort of like beef whether it's a steak or hamburger or something like that um it's sort of like adding pepper a pepper sauce to that to that meat or like making steak au poivre Damn. or something like that so it's super super delicious <laughs> and uh, big, big macifying this burger is just gonna uh, make it even more sort of belgian or french style incredible. because you're adding that kind yeah. of mayonnaise rich what if i'm what if i'm like okay like i love seafood so i'm i'm out i got me some lobster coming i got some raw oysters like a dozen oysters you got the what seafood platter no man i just want i got i got a dozen oysters <laughs> and i got a lobster coming the oyster the oysters is the appetizer. Yeah. Oysters are the appetizer. And I got a lobster coming right after. Awesome. Lobster with maybe like small little corn on the cob. And more coleslaw. 
Go ahead. Oh, this is <laughs> you're making me hungry. So if if you want to do just one beer with with all that, um, mm. I would go either uh, Belgian Saison, which is just one of the most like food friendly beers that's out there, or a, a Belgian Strong Golden Ale, something like Duval. Both those are going to be fantastic with all that. However, if you break it out into multiple courses and you do, you start with the yeah. oysters. Think about what yeah. you, you typically will add to oysters. You add a mignonette sauce, right, which is kind of a vinegar based sauce with champagne vinegar. Yeah. So Rumelade, you could use, yeah. yeah, well, yeah, Rumelade would do, would do wonders too. But yeah, e- either way, it's nice to have a little bit of acidity to it um, yeah. or some minerality. And you can go two directions with that. One would be something like a, a either a Berliner Weisse or a Goza. Goza might be really nice because you get some sourness, you get some salt from the Goza Mary too. It's, Goza. Actually, oh, it's a weird type Goza. of beer that actually has salt added to it. So you could do that for acidity or you could do something that has a little bit less acidity but has more minerality and something like a like a, a porter or a stout or a Schwartz beer. I love pairing dark beer with fish, um, especially something like shellfish like oysters because when you have a dish, particularly something like shellfish that's kind of sweet and really kind of rich and, and, and uh, succulent, goes so nicely with, uh, with a dark beer. So I'm not talking about something that's like, you know, 10% alcohol, but something that's nice, you know, nice and sessionable, easy drinking dark beer. And especially if you're doing something like a porter or a stout coming from Ireland or London, you have a water chemistry issue there where they actually have a little bit of salinity saltiness pairs really nicely uh with the with the oysters too so nice yeah that's that's where i'd go with those oysters <laughs> now i'm officially famished we've had a long what is it seven courses so far of this long delicious meal we've had big macs we've had lobster we've had ribs and halibut but now it's time for dessert rich we've also had coleslaw we've we also had coleslaw i'm <laughs> oh, sorry i did not mean to disrespect the coleslaw do not <laughs> forget the coleslaw don't disrespect the coleslaw we had some delicious coleslaw. delicious coleslaw now we're at dessert <laughs> We're going to keep it very simple. We, they didn't have much at the grocery store because people were stocking up a lot today in the middle of this quarantine. I have just a just a tub of simple Dryer's vanilla ice cream. Ooh, <laughs> that's fun. Ooh. A couple different directions you can go. One would be um, it's a little bit specialty, but something like Rodenbach Alexander would be Ooh. fantastic. It's a uh, it's Ooh. a Barrel-aged sour beer from uh, from Belgium, but it has tons and tons and tons of cherries added to it. So it gets a, a little richness, a little sweetness from the cherry, a um, little hint of uh, kind of vanilla almond extract note from the the pits of the cherries, and lots of caramel from the from the oak as well. So yeah, I think that'd be fantastic. It also tastes a little bit like balsamic vinegar, so it's like drizzling balsamic vinegar on your on your ice cream. Ooh. Or you can go kind of chocolate. Like, what's missing from that ice cream? You want some hot fudge, right? So how about doing, well, how about the chocoveza that we had last week? Ooh. Right? Kind of a nice, sweet, spicy, chocolatey beer. Or you could do something like a barrel-aged imperial stout. Uh, maybe it has chocolate added to it. Maybe it has coffee added to it. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but regardless, you can get lots of kind of nice warming booze notes to it, um, some sweet chocolate hints from the from the dark malts and the residual sugar, as well as lots of layers of caramel and uh, vanilla and maybe a little bit of clove all coming from the oak. Ooh. So, yeah, I think that'd be super, super yummy. So, yeah, a lot of fun directions. You can go with that. That's awesome. All right. So that's our, uh, our food pairing uh, for today, folks. And we're going to get into that. So that's just a little tease, a little taste. Of, of what's to come uh, from Rich's uh, beer and food pairing expertise. But for now, let's get back to it. Let's get to the subject. It's time to talk about IPAs. Uh, so first of all, I'm going to talk about the history a little bit. One of the more widely told stories of the invention of IPA is about George Hodgson's bow. Is it bow or bow? You I know? don't know. I was hoping you wouldn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll edit it out. Uh, if it feels you don't right. don't need to edit it okay. out. <laughs> all right. Well, it's from George Hodgson's I'm going to say Bowbury because for some reason that 
No, Bo is what it probably is. It's Bo. Let's say Bo. You know what? It's Bo. No, I think I always say Bow in my, Bow? In my own head when I'm reading it. So. George Hodson's Bow Brewery. Master Sister on Rich Higgins. Huggins? Higgins? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Rich? Rich what? I am. The wheels are falling off. I've man. not had that much beer. It really is. Whatever. Rich <laughs> says it's Bow and it's Bow because he's the Master Sister on. So George Hodson's Bow Brewery in the late 1700s at the height of the British Empire. Now they say that with British colonial presence in India, those Brits wanting something to drink and India too warm a climate to brew in at the time, brewers back in England needed a way to get beer all the way over there without spoiling. In came Hodgson, who figured out that both extra hops and higher alcohol content act as preservatives, and the IPA was born, and everyone loved it. Now it's half the beer list in every brewery, and your brother-in-law loves ordering the IPA. But the one problem with that story... That widely told story is that it isn't true, despite being found in plenty of seemingly credible sources, especially when Maddie's preparing for the episode and trying to figure out the story of IPA. But that's <laughs> it's not sort true. of true. It's, it's not sort of true. Yeah, some parts are true, though. And Hodgson did have an important impact on the style, but the impact was more kind of in evolving and popularizing it than inventing it outright. So the reality is pale ale had been popular in England since the 1600s as a premium alternative to the more common darker beers. Rich oh, Lundell, what, what a pale popular. ale. It wasn't quite popular. It was still kind okay. of hard to find. It was basically well, only on like landed estates, like down the Abbey and places. I guess when I say popular in that instance, it's more... Let him correct you, Maddie. Let him correct you. It was in like the, the, the mythology of, of beer in England, but most people couldn't, couldn't afford it or couldn't find it. Gotcha. Um, and at that point, pale ale is not like a pale ale we have now, though, right? No. Just a paler ale than the typical? Well, yeah, color of beer was like porter colored, right? So like mm-hmm. dark brown or black. And so anything that was even like deep amber in color was considered a pale ale. Mm. So yeah, we're talking something like, you know, kind of amber colored, I would say. And to set the scene, uh, imported alcohol was highly prized in British colonial India, and it was initially very scarce. Uh, I'm going to note real quick, because uh, I read about this. Scarce? Scarce. 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 Scarce works. Someone says scarce. I'm gonna look, I'm gonna find a dictionary that scarce is acceptable. Someone says, someone write in, someone write in liquidbreadpodcast at gmail.com and say your local dialect says scarce. All right. Now there was one local. Scarce. I feel like scarce sounds more like a leprechaun. Scarce. All right. I know. I'm make, look. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I do want to know. Uh, sorry. There was one local liquor I read about called Iraq, A R R A C K or A R A K, which is not to be confused with the Eastern Mediterranean anise flavored drink of the same name. Iraq was made by fermenting raw palm juice in the sun, and that was literally, I guess, the entire process of making it. It was extremely strong. It ranged from 33 to 50 percent. It was not distilled, and apart from disease, it played a large role apparently in making the average life expectancy of a European in India just three years. Holy so, shit! So the, you know I, they they needed some clean drink. What's up? I, I have read about Iraq, and uh, actually, I read about it. This is a fascinating book. So if anyone's interested in checking out um, IPA history, uh, it's called. Well, now I'm realizing I can't even remember the damn name of the book. It's by oh, Pete we Brown. Tweet we'll tweet it. Yeah, I'll come up with it. Anyway, um, he he talks about Iraq, and uh, he has all these grisly stories of, of all these Brits yeah. like drinking and going blind and like falling it was off, like killing people, it's falling wild. off ships and stuff. Yeah, but I don't know how it got to so much alcohol without being distilled, because technically yeast can't live above like 17% alcohol or so. So something was happening there. Uh, So they needed some beer. As for the spoilage issue that Hodgson supposedly solved, plenty of beer had been successfully shipped to India long before Bow Brewery even opened. The earliest record of pale ale in India dates back to 1716, uh, whereas Hodgson opened up shop in 1752. That alcohol content and lots of hops helped beer keep seems to have been pretty common knowledge 
among brewers in the mid 1700s already. So it wasn't like something he figured out or not something that's been proven that he figured out. In addition to the idea that extra hops were needed for beer in hot climates. Seems like we pretty much knew these things or there's no reliable source that really credits Hodgson with those things. Right. So porters were the, you know, the big beer at the time and something that differentiated beers from ales in in England in, in this period was the amount of hops that were added. And so porter and stout, those are definitely beers because they had a lot of hops added to them. They had to have a lot of hops in them because there was so much dark malt added to them that they were kind of really assertive, difficult to drink beers because the dark malt at the time were so smoky that you had to you had to age these dark beers for like a year sometimes. And so, you know, in the in the process you would end up aging out some of the some of the smoky flavor. But if you didn't have a lot of hops in the beer, then it wouldn't taste good a year after it had been brewed. So they had to have these beers you know, if you had dark malt and beer and dark malt was the, the cheap malt available at the time, you had to have a lot of hops in there. So they realized that the only beers that they can make that could last very long happen to have a lot of hops in them. Gotcha. Ah. Ah. Again, like kind of dismantling that initial myth, there is a possible precursor to IPAs were October beers, which I'd never heard of, or stock ales, which were beers that were brewed to be cellared for up to a decade. And obviously, if you're taking a long journey, that's an easy choice. Even then, a lot of the alcohol content of the beers that became IPA was apparently around 6.5%, which is not particularly high at all, even for the time. And in India, they were drinking plenty of porters and darker beers already. So there are these benefits to the aspects of IPA that work well for the long journey. But at the same time, it wasn't like this was some guy figured out that the only way to get beer over there was to make this one specific type of beer. Right, certainly. But what may have set Hodgson on the path to his legendary status is the one thing they always say is most important. Location, location, location. The British East India Company was basically in total control of trade with India, in charge of the whole deal, and their docks just happened to be right up the road from Hodgson's Bow Brewery. Yeah, it wasn't even up the road; it was just up the up the river. Right. So they just floated, you know, floated a little little barge down to the East India Company uh, and got their stuff loaded on there. So the East India Company had a, had a monopoly on trade between England and India, and so if you had any hope of selling anything in India, you had to get it onto onto a boat that was owned by the East India Company because the Bow Brewery was like just, you know, a couple docks up the river from from the East India Company. They could, you know, they they had a sweetheart deal with, uh, with the East India Company. And then beyond that, Hodgson's Ale, it seems like they mostly benefit from good business sense and good brewing. Uh, in the late 1790s, Bow Brewery started shipping to India and soon George's son, Mark, he made a concerted effort to focus on the Indian market. I guess lots of customers would write in letters to breweries at the time. So he would basically pay attention to that customer feedback, see what the tastes were in India and try to cater to them. Um, while at the same time maintaining that strong relationship, Rich, that you pointed out. Mm. So whereas many pale ales in India had been sold without uh, any sort of brewery branding, Hodgson's was the first big one that was ad- advertised by name. But most importantly, it was also very well liked. In the early 1800s, Bow Brewery's version of, quote, pale ale for India, as it was originally called, became by far the most popular version of the style. So, you know, whatever philosophy went into the shipping and preservation in that sort of more romanticized story, it seems like the IPA style ultimately flourished for the much simpler reasons of it being a tasty, refreshing brew to enjoy in the Indian heat. It's true. There are a couple other twists to that are that, um, so Bow actually, the Bow Brewery started to practice predatory pricing when other breweries in London oh, tried to try to, you know, try to get their, uh, you know, angle their or elbow their way into the market. Bow yeah. just dropped their prices to below what the price of their own beer cost just to force out competition. And then it was also popular in India, not just because uh, it tasted good, but also the fact was it was 
different looking than a lot of other beers. It was paler in color than most of the other beers coming over from England. And so it sort of became a status symbol and it was fairly strong, you know, six to 7% alcohol, but a lot of other beers over there were fairly strong as well. You know, strong porters and strong stouts and things like that coming over there. But there are records that say or that basically the only folks that got to drink it straight or uncut were sort of the, you know, the aristocrats that happened to be over there or the, um, you know, the successful clerks or business people or the, you know, <clears throat> officers and everyone else got it cut, you know, so it was watered down, basically. It definitely got popular, but I think there was some mythology around it because it was pale in color and they knew that it was strong, at least when it came over in the barrels. But yeah, eventually other breweries in London tried to get into the market and they had trouble. And then eventually in the 1820s, uh, the East India Company got sick of working with Bow, or sorry, with Hodge. Hodgson's Bow Brewery and sponsored a contest to brew this beer outside of London. And they found a couple of breweries that did an amazing job up in Burton-on-Trent. And they ended up making the stuff taste even better than the London-based beer. And so the London-based beer ended up kind of losing out because there was so much better beer, better IPA rather, being produced in Burton. So wow. yeah, there's a whole whole other other awesome. chapter to this. Yeah, yeah. So I think we have to that's say incredible. like this is that's gonna that's where we're gonna end the history portion of today. Uh, yeah, but, but hold, I on, think hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's something I need to repeat. There's something I just need to repeat for a second. <laughs> it, uh, that something you said, Maddie. You said yeah. whatever philosophy went into shipping and preservation, it seemed like the IPA style ultimately flourished for simpler reasons because it was tasty refreshing brew to enjoy in the Indian heat. That's how you ended your segment, correct? Yeah. And it still happens to be your least favorite beer. I don't understand that. <laughs> oh, I'm getting called out. This is about me now. Busted. Oh, no. it, flourished, it flourished because it was a fantastic beer. And it was fantastic. Still... It was fantastic for early 1800s taste. Yeah. You guys are, you guys got your old school, old fashioned. taste. I like the new, we've gotten better. I, 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 I favor the 200 years of technological advancement that have gone into the tastier. That said, whatever. Well, my favorite beers are like <laughs> Saison's or whatever that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, whatever. The fact is all the these beers have changed over the over the centuries. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's a great segue to talk about the two modern IPAs that we're going to be drinking today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but and and so, so I'm just yeah. So I will say for now, like again, there's I think there's probably four or so chapters worth of story in the history of IPAs, and I don't want to go forever today. So that's just chapter one. So we'll get to the other chapters later. But for now, let's get to the IPA style. Rich, what is an IPA? An IPA is a beer that is fermented with ale yeast and tends to be kind of pale in color, uh, maybe pale to straw to golden, uh, maybe a little bit of light light amber color. Tends to be hop forward, okay, meaning that it can be bitter from hops and or it can be aromatic from hops. So hops offer bitterness to a beer and they can offer a hop aroma to a beer, but they don't have to offer both at the same time. So some beers are all about hop bitterness and some beers are all about hop aroma. Um, the aromas that come out of hops are typically floral. Depending on where in the world they're grown, they can be particularly fruity, uh, especially um, for American hops or New Zealand hops, Australian hops. They tend to be kind of citrusy uh, as well as piney and also with tropical fruit aromas. Um, hops that are grown in, uh, you know, kind of central Europe, places like Germany, Austria, Slovenia, tend to be a little bit more peppery and grassy. And then hops grown in the UK or in England uh, tend to be um, much more kind of, they're described as savory. So they have a little bit of a kind of a black tea note, um, a little bit of uh, slight fruit, but also a little bit of earthiness to them. Um, and when you add these hops to a certain 
IPA, it's going to dictate what type of IPA that is. So if you're using American and uh, New Zealand hops, you're going to have a very modern contemporary style IPA. And if you use English hops, you're going to be brewing an English style IPA. And these are the, the you know, those hops dictated the, the flavor and the style of IPA that eventually got so popular. However, nowadays, hops that are completely different from English hops produce the most popular styles of IPAs. Now, you even touched on this, uh, the, the different styles within it, and even like there are more styles that we'll talk about in a second beyond the West Coast New England ones. But why does it seem like there is sort of more of a debate about this particular style in terms of what is like an authentic IPA versus other styles? Like why is it, well, this, you know, like that quote at the beginning that I read from the Oxford, why is there this kind of controversy? So it's an old style that had a huge kind of pause or postponement in the middle of it. So it was a big deal, say, from like 1800. 1880, 1870, 1880, something like that. And then it basically was only brewed by a handful of larger commercial breweries elsewhere outside of England, places like Canada and the United States and Australia, you know, just by a little bit brewed uh, until like the 1980s. And that's when the craft brewing revolution took over, resurrected the style and brewed it with a pretty different attitude. Um, And then it started to sell well within the United States. And then as craft beer went global, it's been a defining style and the kind of the standard bearer of craft beer for the past 30 years or so. What do you think it was about it that made it so popular? Like, especially in like the craft beer movement, like why is IPA such a big part of every beer menu? You know, it's so the way I, the way I I think about it is it has so much flavor. Okay. It's a big bombastic beer. It's not about subtleties within it, but on top of it all is this huge, loud hop bitterness. And it has a fair amount of alcohol. And these things can be, they can be polarizing. Bitterness basically is the polarizing one. People either love it or they hate it. Uh, Hop aroma tends to be fairly uh, friendly and fairly um, enjoyable. Alcohol, the effects of it tend to be enjoyable. However, some people try to stay away from it and drink more sessionable beers. But those things make it popular, but also it's like it's press worthy, basically. If you're used to beer being 5% alcohol pilsners that are 30 bitterness units, and all of a sudden you have a beer that's 7% alcohol and it's 80 bitterness units, mm. you know, that's a huge difference. Mm. And so people get excited about it. Um, and because it is so much aroma from hops, this beguiling uh, scent that comes, you know, that mixes a bunch of tropical fruit and citrus fruit and pine trees and flowers together to make really enjoyable kind of perfumey aromatic beer. So yeah, people, people like it. It's a popular style and breweries brew a lot of it because it makes them money. And if you're is, not is a cheaper? fan of it, sorry, is it cheaper to brew in any way? Or is it, is there anything relatively cheaper about it compared to other styles or anything like that? No, I, I mean, it's kind of more expensive because you're adding a lot of ingredients to it. You're adding a lot of hops and hops get expensive. Um, it's not as expensive as, you know, barrel aged beer that takes a lot of time to brew or to age gotcha. really. Uh, so it's no, it's not really a lot more expensive to brew, but they just sell a lot of it. It's a popular gotcha. style of beer. And sorry, you can get um, back to, uh, before I interrupted you, you were talking about why it's about, why it's too bad for people like me who aren't in love with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, kind of as far as the dominance of IPA goes, for a while, it was kind of just, you know, you're SOL if you don't like IPAs, because that's what breweries are going to brew. That's what's going on in the menus. So if you don't like it, you might be turned off by craft beer and you might go to go somewhere else. This was until like 2010 or so. Then starting in the 2010 or teens or wherever that decade, whatever you want to call it, that's when IPA really started to morph into several different styles or subcategories of IPA because brewers wanted to brew more IPAs and sell more IPAs, but they also wanted to 
increase the demographics and the number of people that would enjoy IPAs. And so, Maddie, earlier you were explaining that your wife is kind of just immediately blanket statement turned off by IPAs. But if you sneak her a hazy IPA every once in a while, she's going to enjoy it. And that is a victory for IPA. And that's a victory <laughs> for the breweries that brew it because they want to brew multiple expressions of, again, when I termed earlier, hop forward beers. Yeah. So hops are not only about bitterness, they can also be about aroma. And so breweries are trying to diversify the IPAs that they offer in order to attract more business. Great. So yeah, now's, now's the time to be an IPA drinker. 15 years ago, if you didn't like IPA, too bad. Uh, but nowadays, there's pretty much an IPA for every palate. Wait a minute, but you, does you feel like you have a better example or something, Matt? Of why it's popular? What? Oh, well, I, I mean, honestly, I, well, I, I say some people know, I, I wrote in my notes that I have a theory. Yeah, you uh, have a that, magical that, theory or something? Rich maybe busted. Honestly, Rich pretty much kind of touched upon it, and it's sort of similar to what he was saying. But to me, I think I think uh, IPAs, I think a large part of the popularity, and this is my theory, and Rich, feel free to take it, take it down. <laughs> It's rooted in one, it does taste like a beer. So it starts, it's a starting point of like, it is a little different from, you know, the more common, whatever, you know, grocery store, whatever, Budweiser, whatever beers, but it does still taste like it's still in that same category versus, you know, something more wildly different, but it has that, it's that distinct hoppiness and the hop, the flavor of a hop, I think is something that people can easily recognize. It becomes familiar. And so to me, I feel like people appreciate familiar taste that they can, they can know what to expect. You know, when you order it, you know, you're going to get like this hoppy sort of flavor. And then when West Coast IPAs were pushing hoppiness as a big part of it, I see that as just, you know, people really, when they know the flavor to expect, they, they, they appreciate that familiarity. I know what I'm drinking. I know what I'm getting. I know this one flavor that I like. It's very easy to order an IPA and expect it. Does that make sense? That holds water for back when IPAs were there were fewer expressions of IPA. Mm-hmm. I think nowadays with things like, you know, certainly the New England style IPA or, um, yeah, you know, absolutely. Root, yeah. And that's, root, that's here. I guess I should say more applies to like, especially like West coast IPAs. And when all yeah. of a sudden yeah. like those really got shot through. Yeah. Well, another, you know, another that, makes, that makes sense though. I mean, it, 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 it makes sense to a degree, you know, because it's, you know, you go out, you go out to a new bar and you, you look at the beer list and it's like, if you go, Oh, I know what I'm going to get with this IPA. I know I'm going to get mm-hmm. this. You know what I'm saying? So it, it definitely. I, 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 yeah, I didn't know how I was going to feel about your theory, man. Like, <laughs> I get where you, I get where you're going with it. Yeah, and I, well, and when I, I say that, I don't mean to be like dismissive or patronizing. No, or I, it's just more like because I feel yeah. that way. It's like when you know a flavor and you like that flavor, like it's very easy, easier to well, find well, no, comfort no, it's, in it's that one flavor. Of, it's one of the things that I like appreciate. One of the the reasons why I appreciate um, not only Marion um, Rich's wife's sister. Um, is that I got to spend a lot of time with Rich, but it's like when I go to a bar because I've been exposed to all the different flavor profiles of all these different styles. One of the, it's it's a very it's actually very empowering as someone who who's ordering to know that no matter where I go, I can at least have an idea of what flavor profile mm-hmm. um, of whatever I order. What, you know, you know, at least at least the ballpark of what I'm expecting. Yeah. It makes me it makes me feel really good. Like when I walk into a place, even if I don't know the place, and go, "Oh, I want to try this," and I have an expectation. So I, I, I it, what you're saying, there's so many different styles of beer, you know, that I, I think I, that it, it makes a little sense to me that especially out here, like for you know, because everyone is not as knowledgeable upon the different, you know what I mean? So it's just to be like, oh yeah, I know what I'm getting with this IPA. Totally. It's going to be strong, yeah. it's going to be powerful. But I also understand what you're saying, Rich, too, that there's so many different variations of it now, yeah. so it's not as easy. Yeah. It's gotten more complicated now, but yeah. this for 
still, the quality is very high. Dance around within the IPA style pretty easily as a consumer and get something that's going to be a good beer. And again, it's fairly predictable because it's dominated by, <clears throat> by American hops or maybe New Zealand hops. And these hops have this kind of recognizable uh, characteristic um, signature of citrus, sometimes tropical fruit and pine. And so if you brew a beer, like to look at it maybe a little bit more cynically, it's a beer that's kind of easy to copy. And you say, all right, what beers are doing well? IPA is so well. I'm a brewer. I want to brew a beer that sells so I can keep keep my lights on. So why don't I brew a beer that sells well? It's an IPA, and I can put a whole lot of American hops in it or New Zealand hops in it, and it's going to taste recognizable as an IPA. So therefore, you hedge your bets a little bit. You can brew a beer that's going to sell well. I'm not trying to take anything away from the, the mastery of the brewers that brew the really sure. you know the best. However, it's not that difficult to brew, and it's also ascertainable or per- perceptible by the consumer because they're not so many different subtleties it's not like the flavors are introduced by a certain specific strain of yeast at a specific temperature you know like fermentation flavors are really squirrely and so that's what defines a lot of the diversity within belgian style beer for instance however with american style beer kind of classic american styles like ipa it's not so much about the the magic and mystery of fermentation it's really just about ingredients and so Mm -hmm. if you if you like Mm -hmm. chocolate chip cookies and your neighbor likes oatmeal raisin cookies you know the difference between those cookies Okay, one has chocolate chips and one has oatmeals and yeah. oatmeals, oatmeals and raisins. It's almost like a safer beer, and it is super delicious. You know, I'm not taking anything away from it, but it is a little bit easier to uh, to understand and to to purchase as a consumer. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of like that's in line with my theory. That's a, <laughs> that that a good theory I had. Good theory, yeah. man. Good awesome. theory. So let's so let's start um, IPA styles now. This is one that I feel like I have tried to figure out, but I just. Like in terms of when I'm actually tasting them and taking them out and stuff, like I've never really fully been able to nail it down. Double IPAs, triple IPAs. What up? Ignore them. Ignore okay. the difference between a double IPA and a triple IPA. Wow. It is uh, and imperial IPAs in that category too. Basically, they're bigger versions of an IPA. Okay, so say an average IPA within America, whether it's West Coast or New England IPA style, um, is six to seven percent alcohol. Double IPA or triple IPA tends to be eight, nine, ten percent alcohol. You know, triple IPAs tend to be a little bit bigger than doubles. But either way, you're talking about sort of a amped up IPA. And there's not only more alcohol, but the alcohol comes from malt, right? So you have more malt in there. And if you still want this to be hop forward, you need to add more hops to balance out that malt. So they tend to be more bitter, more malty, and more alcoholic, gotcha. all all in one. Imperial and double are basically the same. Beer style, uh, triple IPA is anything a brewer makes that, and the brewer decides to call it a triple IPA that's even bigger than a double or an imperial IPA. Got it. Oh, and also, you know, we haven't mentioned, I don't know if anyone, we've actually said the three words India Pale Ale, but I guess it's not, we should know that that's what the IPA stands for. I mean, if it was clear, <laughs> but I, I don't know. It's easy to overlook that. Yeah. yeah. India Pale Ale. India Pale Ale. That's, what, that's why that's not, not about Indian India Pale Ale. I still I still hear Indian pale ale sometimes. It's not Indian pale ale. It's not, not Belgium Indian. beer. Belgium is a country. Belgian is an adjective. Belgian beer, India pale ale. That's my – I've got an axe to grind here. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. Get mad. Get mad. Oh, uh, I'm let's angry. Go, <laughs> and then let's get into uh, West Coast IPA. West Coast IPA is sort of the West Coast answer to the East Coast IPA. Don't confuse that with the New England IPA. I'm already confusing myself. The West Coast IPA is the expression of IPA that helped make craft beer famous and American beer famous in the 1980s, 1990s, and mid-2000s. 
All right. So the West Coast IPA tends to be um, fairly dry, which means not a lot of residual sugar. So it has a decent amount of malt added to it. However, it attenuates well and becomes quite dry on the finish. So you don't taste a lot of the malt. You don't taste a lot of the sugar. But you do taste a lot of bitterness. And there is a decent amount of alcohol and a lot of hop aroma. Okay. It's about as much hop aroma as brewers thought they could get into a beer in you know, until the New England style IPA came out and they realized new ways of getting even more hop aroma into a beer. So the New England IPA is an answer to the West Coast IPA. However, the stats on a West Coast IPA are basically that it's pale in color, maybe to amber in color. So a little bit of a color range tends to be maybe 7% alcohol, 6.5 to 7.5% alcohol. And the bitterness level tends to be about 55 or so to about 75 bitterness units. So it's quite bitter, quite alcoholic, and, um, and, yeah, not real sweet and just tons of hot bitterness and tons of hop aroma. There are and there are like kind of less known ones. One I do see a fair amount, uh, but I've never even tasting it, never really been able to figure out what exactly it is and why it's an IPA and all that stuff. What is a black <laughs> IPA? A black IPA. So yeah, black IPA is basically like a West Coast style IPA. It tends to be fairly alcoholic, fairly bitter. However, it's brewed with some dark malts, right? And there are a lot of ways to skin a cat. There are a lot of different types of dark malt out there. The type that brewers of black IPA use uh, tends to be dehusked, it's called. When you take the husks off the malt and then you roast it, uh, you end up roasting it. You roast part of the malt. It's like... It's like putting a piece of bread in the toaster, right? So if you have a piece of bread, a sandwich, you know, slice of sandwich bread, and it burns, the middle of the bread, what's called the crumb, is going to still be somewhat more edible compared to the crust. So the crust is going to get really bitter, kind of overly burned, um, whereas the middle of the bread isn't going to be as burned. And so that's this this type of malt that is used in the black IPA. It's also used in a German Schwartz beer. You, so it has. What, I want to know an example of the black IPA. There are not a lot of them, frankly. It was sort of a flash in the pan. Um, oh boy! I feel like I see him at. I feel like I'll just see him at breweries randomly. I don't. I don't know that I've seen any like in a store or anything, but I feel like I just. Well, like Stone, I used to love sublimely self-righteous. Sublimely self-righteous. Yes. That was yes. a black IPA. I loved yeah. it. It's a fantastic beer. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's definitely uh, a great example of one. Um, it's not like it looks dark, but it doesn't taste as roasty or as bitter mm. or as. Uh, no. Uh, astringent as a stout or a porter would because stouts and pork malt but the the husk is included whereas the husk is, has been removed for the dark malt that goes into a black ipa but the self-righteous was a black ipa yes yep stone sublimely self-righteous is a fantastic beer and a great example of a black ipa oh, uh, it's one of the only ones that you can still sort of find with regularity right now black ipas really are not a big thing anymore. There's actually one that's brewed in, in my town here in Bozeman uh, from Bridger Brewing Company. That's a really good version. Um, but again, they're just not popular anymore. Yeah, gotcha. gotcha. I love that beer. Um, and, then there's, beer. and then there's session IPAs, which is pretty self-explanatory. They're a little lower in alcohol usually, but just made for sessioning. Yeah, you take them down. Yeah. Keep drinking them. They won't get you too buzzed. So yeah, it's a, a, a day drinker of an IPA. Yeah, and this was one I see I saw mentioned just to basically on a list of styles, but I don't know that I've ever seen it or that I don't remember ever seeing it. A Belgian IPA? Oh yeah, yeah. So it's not really brewed in Belgium. It's an IPA uh, with that's fermented with Belgian ale yeast, so it ends up mm. tasting fruity and spicy from the yeast, mm. as well as it has a lot of hop aroma and hop bitterness. Um, I find personally that one to be quite hard to brew because I think the, the phenolics, the kind of spicy notes from the Belgian yeast kind of fight with the hot bitterness. However, let's see, uh, Le Freak from Green, Green Flash um, oh, was one okay. I was always a big fan of. 
Oh, and uh, there's a uh, oh uh, Houblon Chouf that is actually from Belgium. Um, so the La Chouf beers, um, Chouf breweries, C H O U F F E is how it's spelled, and Houblon is uh, the French word for for hop. So it's oh. like the the hoppy Chouf. Hoppy so yeah, Chouf. those those two are good Belgian style IPAs. Oh great. There's another one that Stone does because I remember you <laughs> giving me this recommendation for. Oh gosh, I can't. I gotta think of what it is. It's another one that I love. Yeah, I'm I'm with you actually. I'm blanking on it right now. There are too many beers in my head. Yeah, I'll look it up. I can find it. That I think that covers. Are there any other styles that I'm missing? Cali Belgique. Cali Belgique. Yes. Yeah. Cali Belgique. <laughs> I love that beer. Yeah, that it's beer. an awesome beer. That beer is delicious, man. Awesome beer. Yes. Maddie, I don't know if you've ever had it. I don't Cali... think I have. No, Cali Belgique. Let's go down to Stone and have it once we're allowed to go outside again. Uh, hope they're oh. still brewing it. It's fantastic. Good God, it's fantastic. Sorry, I just got excited. I got excited. It's really good. It's allowed. Yeah. Uh, Rich, are there any other styles that I'm missing? Those are kind of the bigger and more notable ones, it seems. But is there anything else? Sure. I mean, you name it. There's there's white IPA. There's uh, red IPA. There's brown IPA. Um, obviously, New England IPA, which we're going to get into. But then there's things like, you know, um, uh, New England double IPA, brute IPA, certainly. Oh, right. Brute IPA well, styles like out there. Meantime has some good IPAs, too. They do, yeah. From from London, yeah. Uh, they their main IPA, meantime IPA. That's an English style IPA, like yeah. an old an eighteen hundreds English style IPA. It's delicious. I really dig it. I really dig it. We'll do when we do when we do chapter two of the IPA story. We'll do chapter two of the styles story as well. Uh, we can yes, get into we that should. stuff later. Yeah, there's a whole lot more. But for now, let's get into the tasting. So the tasting yeah. beers let's that beer. Rich has chosen has curated for our fine drinking enjoyment today are both from Firestone Walker. It's another California brewery, and we will... I mean, now it became a little harder to get out there and just find beers and stuff, but in the future, we will do breweries that are not just in California, we promise. But for now, we've got Firestone Walker's Union Jack IPA, which is the West Coast-style IPA, and we've got Mind Haze IPA, which is the New England, New England-style IPA. Although, on the subject of New England, so, Rich, is it New England IPAs are hazy, but not all hazy IPAs are New England IPAs? Is that how it goes? <sighs> I think of them the same. You, you know, there are probably okay. folks out there that insist that there's some some minor difference, but I'm not aware of it. Gotcha. Um, there are there's some variation within the style, so maybe there's some different interpretation that I'm not aware of. But in general, yeah, New England hazy and juicy, pretty reliable. Put them together, synonymous. Yeah. Uh, and then do you want to? I, you, you you did touch on it a little bit earlier, but like you said, you didn't go too deep into New England. Do you want to talk about the New England, or how do you, how do you want to yeah. leave this tasting, Rich? Yeah. Well, so all right, so. What we try to do here is pick one brewery, uh, two different expressions of IPA from the same brewery. So we're removing some variables by having it be the same brewery and trying to showcase a beer that they came out with in like 2007, maybe something like that. Union Jack, uh, that's their West Coast IPA. That was their flagship IPA, awesome IPA for a long time. And then the IPA landscape shifted and uh, New England start New England IPAs came out of obviously New England. They're now brewed around the world. They're the most popular, most profitable style of IPA out there. And so Firestone Walker kept their Union Jack, continued to brew Union Jack, uh, their West Coast style IPA, but they also developed Mind Haze IPA, which is their hazy IPA. Now, Matt Brynaldson is the brewmaster from Firestone Walker, and he is an absolute god of hoppy beers and uh, other styles of beers as well. But he's just revered uh, in the beer scene for his uh, for his hop forward beer. So um, both of these are fantastic versions of each of both the West Coast and the New England style. While West Coast IPAs are all about hard 
hardnesses and like hard edges because they're really uh, they're fairly dry and they've got a lot of alcohol and tons of bitterness. Uh, the um, New England style IPA is all about softness. So it has a lot of hop aroma, but relatively little hop bitterness compared to the West Coast IPA. So it's not about bitterness. It's about hop aroma. Um, they tend to have, you know, twice or three times as much hop aroma as a West Coast IPA. Um, and they have less alcohol and they have more maltiness to them. The maltiness isn't really a sweetness so much as it's a fluffiness and a silkiness, a velvetiness uh, that comes from adding wheat uh, in addition to barley. So the, the wheat will add sort of a bready, doughy quality to the beer. Um, and then also oats are common as well. Gotcha. A silkiness or a little bit of a fattiness or creaminess to the beer. Okay. I'll tell you right now. So I got them both poured in front of me. Uh, awesome. Two glasses poured in front of me. Uh, they just look like entirely different drinks altogether. I'll say it's very yeah. visually, it's very clear visually. It's and I also would say you could almost get a general idea of what the flavor differences are going to be from looking at them because I've got on the right to me, I've got this Union Jack. It's very clear. It's a little darker. It's a little more red, a little more reddish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's very see through. Almost got like an apple juice kind of color. I can see the bubbles. It looks crisper almost. And then the hazier one, the Mind Haze, just is you know very cloudy. Mm -hmm. um, a little lighter in color looks almost looks juicy. Like you said, it is a juicy IPA. Cool. Yeah. So if I said, which one is going to smell is going to smell like grapefruit, could you look at them and tell me? I would assume the haze, <laughs> the mind haze, although I'm trying to, I'm trying to trap you here. Um, <clears throat> basically I think what you can see about these beers is that, um, the Union Jack might taste uh, a little bit more toasty or caramelly from the color of that malt. Uh, but the mind haze, because it's so hazy looks sort of fluffy or doughy. Mm -hmm. So both of those, neither of those characteristics is really about the main part of these beers. And the main part of the beers is what the hops do to them. So okay. go ahead and smell the Union Jack. And go ahead and smell the mind haze, and tell me tell me what you notice on, on those aromas. Okay. Oh boy. Mm. I'm not getting a ton of grapefruit from the mind haze. Okay. Not with my nose. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm getting citrus. I'm getting citrus. I think. Yeah. Honestly, smell wise, I don't know. Maybe my. That smells not great. I, I I almost get similar smell. Like I know these two taste very differently, and it's going to go in different directions. But smell wise, I'm not getting a ton of difference. I think I, okay. I think the citrusiness is a little stronger with the with the mind haze. But mm -hmm. but honestly, because I've not you know I've tasted both these before, but I've not smelled and thought about both these before. Uh, sure, I'm surprised that they're not more different. Given that yeah. what's going, what's happening. Well, I don't want to. You know, it's a little more hops in the in the Union Jack, though. I don't want to belabor necessarily, like you know, which one has grapefruit necessarily, but yeah. um, the hops that are in the Union Jack are more kind of classic hops. I'm, I'm doing air quotes here, classic hops for the American uh, mm -hmm. uh, American craft beer scene. All right, so we're talking about things like um, uh, Cascade and Centennial and Chinook. Um, there's also a little bit of Amarillo and Simcoe in there. Those are hops that have been around for you know more than a decade, or you know, really. Two, two to three decades right now, um, and they they will add typically things like grapefruit, uh, maybe some pineapple, maybe some peach uh, aromas. But the way I look at those is they tend to be kind of orange in color, orange, maybe pink. All right, just looking at all those fruits, if you if you slice those fruits up and set them out on a plate, you'd be mainly talking about orange colors. Um, then when I smell the uh, the hops that are in in the mine haze. They're all, you know, much newer varieties of hops. And so those hops are being bred by hop producers or hop farmers, um, <clears throat> excuse me, 
to end up uh, expressing other types of fruits um, because they ha- share a lot of DNA and share a lot of the terroir of the classic hops grown in the United States and New Zealand. They tend to, those fruits tend to be citrusy and tropical as well. Um, but rather than being kind of the orange colored ones, I get more kind of like white and green and yellow out of them. So I get a lot of mango. I get uh, pineapple. I get a lot of lime. Yeah, the uh, pineapple lychee. stands out. Lychee. Smell any lychee or kiwi in the, in the mind haze? Is it crazy that I'm getting hay? Hay? Is that crazy? In the mind haze? Yeah, in the mind haze? No, not at all. I, I think that's that's great for, for the mind haze. I wouldn't I wouldn't expect to get that out of the Union Jack. No, I'm telling so, about the mind haze. I'm getting hay. Yeah. Hay is is sort of when you think about it, it's like an it's like a raw dried grain, right? And so yeah. the beer that you're drinking is all about sort of this like doughy, uh, uncooked grain quality because it doesn't have any toast color to it, it doesn't have any caramel color to it. So it's very much like a kind of a raw uh, white bread note to it. And so I think Ooh. it's it's great to get hay off that. So the grain quality uh, that's coming is is much more you know it's present because the grain in the malt hasn't been cooked or or roasted as much as uh it ha- as it has in the uni jack so go ahead and let's let's taste the beers finally you know yeah, yeah, smell yeah. smell them to death here why not uh, just taste them side by side and if you want to be a dork about it plug your nose while you do it and just taste for how much sweetness is there taste for how much bitterness is there and by plugging your nose, you're not going to smell all the aromas that might make you think it's sweeter than it is or, or more sour than it is or something like that. Okay, you're just trying to cut out the, the, the aromatic information. There's definitely a very different mouthfeel on these. Like yeah, the, for sure. Yeah, you definitely feel the fizzier, almost creamier, yeah, mind haze versus the almost like a champagne Yeah, and that mouthfeel, that uni jack mouthfeel is kind of standard beer mouthfeel, right? Yeah. It's kind of sparkling. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not low in carbonation at all. It's nice and crisp. It's enjoyable to drink. Um, whereas the Mind Haze is this sort of newer turn toward these kind of bready, doughy beers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Certainly not new for like Hefeweizen drinkers, uh, you know, like in Germany or somewhere, but um, or wit beer drinkers from Belgium. But this borrows from, from those traditions of using wheat and oats to, to make it a silkier beer. So which one's more bitter? Definitely the Union Jack, I think. Well, what do you think, Larry? I'm just, hey man, listen, I'm, it's, we're, we're in the middle of Walking Dead, man. I wasn't able to get the Union Jack. It's a little oh, harder to find. I get it. It's a little harder to find. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, I, I, more than I expected, I feel like there is a sweetness in both of these. Um, okay. And, and, you know, maybe this is more my, my, I always kind of do this with the sweetness. Like the Union Jack has almost a little more or it's present at least almost like I would in my head, it's more of like a sugary sweetness. Okay. Like it's almost sort of like, like that sort cooked, of maybe a cooked sugar, like, like caramel. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely that sort of sweetness. Whereas with the, with the, with the other one, it's more of like a fruity sweetness. And I think it's, okay. it's not, it's, it has less, like I think the union Jack has the bitterness is there that balances mm-hmm. out a little bit. Whereas the yep. other, yeah, the other one has kind of just that more juicy sweetness. And I definitely taste the, mm-hmm. I do think the taste, when you mentioned like lychees and, and pineapple, definitely was in the aroma of the mind haze, but I definitely think the taste mm. then turns more yeah, into see, like a, see, mate, like a I'm great not getting, I'm not getting sweetness in this mind haze. Ooh, Larry, I like you. I like I'm where this getting, is going. I'm getting it in the aroma. Like when I taste mm. it, when, I, when my nose is plugged, I'm not, I'm not getting that sweetness. And I will say just in general, it's not overly sweet to me, but I get a touch of it. Like to me, most, to me with this mind haze, most of it is coming from the aroma, not what's on my tongue. Like when I have my nose plugged and it goes across, I'm not getting that that sweetness that you're talking about. 
Yeah, that's exactly right, Larry. So, the, so the amount of actual sugar that's in the mine haze, to me, I would I would estimate it at you know one point eight percent. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's that's a way of measuring the amount of uh, it's the final gravity of the beer. I'd put it at one point eight Play-Doh, um, which is one point eight percent sugar by volume. <clears throat> that is enough to taste it in a glass of water. Oh. You would you'd taste that that sugar in a, in a if you added you know just. 1.8% sugar to a glass of water, you would taste mm. that sugar. However, in a beer that has other things to balance that sweetness, like bitterness, it's hard to detect that. Um, and especially on top of that, you have all these aromas that remind you of sweet, ripe, tropical mm. fruits. Mm. So if you pinch your nose and take a sip of the stuff and swallow it and keep your nose plugged, keep your nose pinched for four or five seconds and move your tongue around against the roof of your mouth and just try to search for sugar... It's pretty hard to find it. These beers are not overly sweet. I feel um, you see. I feel like smells, I almost feel, but I feel like it is still fruity. Yeah, well, it smells fruity. For That's sure. why I would say, like I was saying, like with my you know language and verbiage that I try to improve. When I say like, oh, it's a sweetness, it's because I taste fruit and like citrus. Right. I think there's there's like a natural inclination to naturally just say Completely. that's sweet. You know. Completely. Yeah, and that and that's why I say it's almost like a sh- like the Union Jack almost ends up being sweeter taste wise because mm-hmm. it's just a more straightforward like sugariness. That I guess well, is- keep in mind though, there's not that much sugar in the Union Jack, but because it smells caramelly, it smells like ripe fruit. Okay, it's like caramelized orange peel or candied orange mm-hmm. peel, mm-hmm. Um, because you get orange and grapefruit aromas from the hops, and you got caramel aromas from the from the malt, and it's making you remind or it's reminding you of you know, the last time you had these aromas together, which mm-hmm. maybe was in a, I don't know, a, a gumdrop or some sort of, you know, caramel, uh, orange peanut caramel brittle or something like that. Yeah. I did stock up on gumdrops for the quarantine. <laughs> I, got, I got my st- supply. The There's only one way to make it through this. <laughs> I hoarded them all. <laughs> I think I almost blew up the uh, the tasting a little bit on my side because I held my nose, drank, and then before I dis- discussed it, I, oh, I let go of my nose and drank each too. And it's hard to go back once you've done that. It is hard to go back. So what we're doing right now is beer tasting, and it's very different from beer drinking. Beer drinking mm-hmm. is fun and easy, and it's something you want to do, and it's social. Beer tasting yeah. is boring and scientific and analytical and focused. Um, it's, so very it's, exciting. To... it's very exciting to listen to on a podcast. <laughs> I'm sure. I don't think it's that boring. I don't think it's that boring, especially not during a pandemic. <laughs> Nothing's boring. We are all going to be ready to pass the Master Cicerone exam by the time we go outside again. Nice. Well, anyway, I don't want to beat these uh, beers to death here. Um, just the point here is that Union Jack skews hard because it's a West Coast style IPA. Yeah. And by hard, I mean it's uh, more, you know, the bitterness is more present. The uh, carbonation is more present. The alcohol is more present. Whereas the Mind Haze skews more soft. Okay. It's plush. It's got a soft mouthfeel this doughiness from, from all the malt and the, the wheat, the oats, all these things are making it more soft uh, in the mouthfeel. But then on top of that, it has much less bitterness too. So mm-hmm. on the website, Airstone Walker says that uh, Mind Haze is 40 bitterness units built on top of 6.2% alcohol, whereas the Union Jack is 70 bitterness units built off, or sorry, 60 bitterness units built off of uh, 7% alcohol. Oh. Um, so ratio-wise between the, the alcohol, which comes from malt, and the the bitterness level, the Union Jack is is more aggressively bitter uh, than the uh, than the Mind Haze. Awesome, and it's 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 a fun comparison to make. And I think Rich, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think obviously we have these two specific Union Jack and Mind Haze to drink. And if you found them, that's great. But it's kind of fun to do this with as long. I think if you're sticking with one brewery to try any one New England 
one West Coast from the same place. It's very easy to taste those differences. And I think it helps you kind of appreciate what is unique about each style. Yeah, for sure. Um, another thing to, to look for within the, uh, within the New England style you know, if you're not drinking Mind Haze, you're drinking another New England style IPA. Uh, Mind Haze is not particularly sweet. It's a New England style uh, IPA. However, other New England style IPAs can have more sweetness. Um, sometimes they have lactose that's added to them. So lactose mm. is a sugar that comes from, that's derived from milk. And it's a, you know, it's an essential, well, not essential. It's an important ingredient in like a sweet stout or a milk stout. Mm. Um, however, it also adds body and softness to, to New England style IPAs. This one doesn't have it, but again, if you're at home trying some other, or, you know, hopefully uh, at home or in the future out at a bar or a brewery, you'll be trying any sort of New England IPA um, and you might find some sweetness from lactose. If there are listeners out there that do have a strong opinion that, Juicy and hazy IPAs are different from New England IPAs. Please let us know. Tweet oh, at man. us. I, or, I will say we've not gotten yeah, an ang- we haven't we haven't gotten an angry letter yet. Everyone's been very nice and friendly and all that. If we got some, ang- I would love to get some angry letters. Correct yeah, yourself, man. I don't need no angry letters coming. Yeah, I don't. I don't need any trolls here. <laughs> if you there to me, I'll, I'll I'll filter them out. <laughs> you know what? I have something to say. I'm on board with IPAs now. You guys have you guys have won uh, me over. I've been swung yeah. over. <laughs> next next time I'm at a bar, you know, in 2027 or whenever that might be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell the bartender bring me over an IPA in 2027. 2027. We'll see. Welcome hey, to the club, good, Andy. Hey, it's a good time to homebrew. I mean, it is. It is. Yeah, if you got it. I mean, I've been, I've I bake bread, and I've, I never realized that that would be a very nice thing to have in case of not being allowed to go outside. So I've been, I've been baking up some sourdough bread, trying to get better at that. Speaking of solid bread, for my podcast, solid bread that'll be coming out soon. Solid bread. So then, just before we wrap it up, you know, I'm going to go through one listener mail just because I like this, and because it was. Honestly, I thought it was kind of relevant because even last week I talked about my personal, and even this week, my personal thing was like super hoppy West Coast IPAs were not really my personal preference, but I'm curious. Super bitter, not super hoppy. Sorry, 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 sorry. I don't know. I think it is when they're extra, I guess, maybe. I don't know, but I like bitter. Well, what does hoppy mean, right? Hops add bitterness or they add aroma. Hmm. Maddie, don't argue with that man. Don't argue with the man. Get to the email. Don't argue with the man. All right, we're getting the email. All right, I'm just trying to get to the email. Uh, so, so this is a question, and Larry, I'm, I'd love for you to answer it too. But also, Rich, I'm very mm. curious from your position. Basically, are there any personal turn? This is from at Senator Smitten. Any personal turnoffs in beer? Not poor brewing, but just flavors uh, any of you might tend to avoid. Um, and I think that's a good question. I know, Rich, like you love all kinds of beer, and you appreciate your you're very nice to beer, and you you appreciate all the different styles. But are there any like kind of particular flavors or anything like that that you avoid? That's interesting. You know, I, I'm not a huge fan of beers that are incredibly out of balance. <clears throat> and the main components of balance are sweetness and bitterness in a beer. You also have things like uh, sourness or astringency or carbonation and things like that. But in general, you're talking about a kind of a, a battle between sweetness and bitterness. And some beers that are just way too sweet, they don't have enough bitterness, I can't drink them. They're just too soft. Mm-hmm. Or if a beer is all about bitterness or all about like, there's some really kind of bitter sour beer that have a lot of bitterness to them or sour IPA or something. Those are, those are kind of tough for me to drink. Cause they're just, they're way skewed toward hardness and there's just no softness in them. So I, I need some semblance of balance in there. Cool. Yeah. Larry? I, I, I can't act as though I know all flavors like rich knows them, but I just don't like, I don't know. It's like, I, I it's like, like I said two or three weeks ago, I think I said this on the last um, episode 
but I just had this beer and it, I could just taste it. It just tasted off. And look, I like beer, so I'll drink it. But it's just like there's a point where I'm just like, I can't. I was I was there with my boy and I was like, something tastes off about this. It's just too buttery. And I know it depends on what the style is, if it's the right mm-hmm. thing. But I could tell it was an off flavor. And I actually texted Rich and he was like, yeah, welcome to the club. <laughs> I couldn't drink it. I couldn't drink it. I just left half of it there. I also just uh, didn't have the heart to tell the bartender. What was the flavor? Um, this, is, this is bad. And we also feel had, for like, you. We also had an exchange earlier where he was trying to communicate something to me and he was wrong, but I didn't feel Uh-oh. like telling him he was, oh, he was no. wrong. He was describing beer. So yeah. And I was like, yeah, I turned to my wife. I was like, he doesn't know what he, he doesn't know what he's talking about, gotcha. but I didn't want to, you know, I also respect people who work and, you know, cause I've been there and I remember when I was bartending and didn't know what the hell I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the fun thing. You accept a lot from a bartender, but I'd say I, I will also throw out coffee is not a particular love of mine. I don't, I don't, I'm very surprised. I don't know why coffee became such a, I guess it's cause it's toast. It, it fits in with like the toasted, the toasted nature of malts and stuff like that. But coffee in particular, not that I don't, you know, I like Chocovesa that had coffee in it and stuff like that. But I, I it's, it, that's like a coffee stout is not something I enjoy a ton. And if, mm-hmm. you know, I'll choose, I'll choose the non-coffee stout if there's two stouts on the menu. Maddie, it, it sounds to me as if you have a, a, a bit of a finicky enough palate where you finicky. like a lot of different stuff, but not mm-hmm. all the time. Like yeah, you, I guess that's with, this is my Chocovesa. that's kind of my issue. Well, that's my thing. Also, when I say I don't like, the, I have this. I have this with music because I love music, and then I'll mm-hmm. tell some. I'll be like, I don't. I'll be like, I don't really like Steely Dan, and they'll be like, Oh, they think I hate <gasps> Steely, like Dan, Steely Dan, but I own Pretzel Logic. No, I'm like, I no, I, I but I, I like it all. You know, like that's my problem when I say I don't like things. So it's like when I when I say I don't like a band, I'm like, Oh, I also have like listened to every one of their albums, and I probably own it. I'm like, Whenever I say I don't like something, it's always like, Oh, it's not my preference is more what it usually ends up being. So like when I say that, I'm like, Coffee, it's not my preference. It's not what I'm gonna choose. But like you know, I'll probably you know, I'll enjoy it a lot of the time. Well, it reminds me of. Uh... This German guy I know that he doesn't like drinking rock beers. Rock beer is a smoked, uh, a beer made from smoked mm-hmm. malt. They're not real popular in Germany, but uh, you know the town of Bamberg makes a, you know, a couple of breweries that, that brew them. I personally love them. And I was talking to my German friend about them, and I said, uh, you know, what, what do you think of rock beers? And he's like, hmm, I <laughs> like bacon and I like beer. <laughs> But I don't like bacon in my beer. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So that's maybe that's like you, Maddie. You don't you like coffee and you like uh, you like some bitterness, mm, but you don't coffee. like overly bitter IPAs. You don't yeah. like overly co- coffeeish beers. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's when You're they come Goldilocks. together. I am You're a Goldilocks. Goldilocks. I'm a little Goldilocks. He's Goldilocks. <laughs> Look, we'll get to some of my styles. You know, we'll get to the Flanders Red episode, and then I'll go crazy. You know. Hey, that works for me. Yeah. Sign me up. Uh, <laughs> oh, speaking of, yeah, speaking of beers for, for next episode. Yes, yeah, yeah, we can talk about that. I'll say, if you guys have any questions for Rich, if you just got anything to say and that you think we're the right people to hear it, uh, write to us at <laughs> write to us at liquidbreadpodcast at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter, um, our account on Twitter, and please follow us. That'd be great, too, uh, is at liquidbreadpod, at liquidbreadpod. And I'll even say, if you have questions for me or Maddie, yeah, we got feel free to hit us, but we'll I may not answer anything. it. I may not answer it. So Rich <laughs> is the guy to direct the question. You can cool. so, direct them to Larry, and I, I will answer them for Larry. I'll make something up. We'll tease our, our, our next episode. Uh, we're going to do food pairing is going to be the subject of next week. We had a little hint of it before, but we're really going to get into that next, next time uh, so you guys can kind of get an idea of it because it really is – Look, I mean, it's similar to the way that if you're in a museum and you're able to point to your date and be like, that, that's a Van Gogh or that's a Monet, that's a Pizarro, whatever, 
and it impresses them, I feel like if you're able to pair someone's beer with their food, they're going to be in love with you for life in the way that I'm in love with Rich for life. This is about, it's about winning friends and impressing people. It's not about enjoying it the is. beer or the food. It's just that's about what, That's people. what it's all. So then as for our tasting beer, we're going to start telling you beforehand what the tasting beer is so you can give you more time to seek it out. So Rich, you want to tell them what you've chosen for next time? Yes, go find some Vieille Provision, which is the actually the real name of Cézanne Dupont. So it shouldn't be too hard to find, and it's a fantastic beer. Uh, buy a couple bottles, drink a few beforehand, and then actually sa- save one for the actual episode. It's one of my faves, so I'm very excited to, like to drink it. Uh, and I know, though, uh, Rich, just in terms of finding that, that's one that I feel like I see a lot of people say that the versions you'll find, I mean, most of our listeners are in the U.S. It's not always easiest to find one that hasn't been sconed because the bottle's green, so it lets in light. Um, is there, yeah, is there any, what's the best true. way to seek out a bottle of Saison Dupont, I guess I should say. I think uh, we should do it. Should we just focus yeah, on I bottle think, shops? I didn't think about that. Well, yeah, I always try to, um, I mean, if you have a choice, find a bottle that's been yeah. kept cold. And I always kind of reach from the back of the, of the rack, <laughs> back of the shelf that has, uh, you know, had less light exposed into it. Um, gotcha. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, that's all we got for this time. Stay safe out there. I know I probably said stay safe and clean a lot of times. Uh, thanks so much to Rich and Larry. Do you guys have anything? Yo, yo. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about before we go? Uh, uh, I would have had a play to plug, but because of the pandemic, I don't know if it's going to happen. So oh, what, what that sucks, Larry. Yeah. yeah, it's too bad. All right. And well, if you are looking for stuff to do while you're cooped up in the house and you're interested in beer, um, make sure you check out my uh, video prep course for the Certified Cicerone exam. If you are interested in becoming a Certified Cicerone, this is a fantastic resource. Uh, but even if you're just looking to learn a little bit more about beer, um, you can head over to um, – to my uh, my Vimeo on demand page. It's uh, vimeo.com slash on demand slash Rich Higgins. And uh, there's a bunch of videos there, and um, there are a few lessons too, so you can uh, check them out. And um, I think video seven, no, video eight is on uh, English and American styles of beer. So um, we definitely cover IPA in that video. So go check it out. Awesome. Thanks so much, everyone. And just one reminder, uh, follow us on Twitter at Liquid Bread Pod. We'll give you heads ups about, you know, tasting beers and everything like that. And please, if you like us, rate and review us on iTunes. It's super helpful. If we, Especially if we get a five-star review, it's super helpful to boost our visibility. That's it for Liquid Bread. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Happy beer. Cheers. Happy Cheers. Beer.